Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves, hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello, welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855am, 3CR Digital Radio and streaming on the 3CR website 3cr.org.au. So for the last couple of weeks on Brainwaves, we have been replaying highlights from the recent 2023 Woodcock Lecture uh, that was proudly hosted by Wellways. And last week, we finished up hearing Matt Ball speak. And this week, uh, we'll be listening to speaker Helena Roenfeld. Uh, this is the second last episode from the 2023 Woodcock Lecture, uh, this year's topic being human humane responses to distress. Please note that some of the content may be confronting and if today's show does bring up anything for you and you are in need of some extra support, uh, please call the Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show. Our next speaker is Helena Rowenfeld. She's a lived experience researcher undertaking her PhD. Her research explores the experience of mental health crisis and formal mental health crisis responses. She holds a master's degree in social work, forensic mental health, suicidology and mental health practice and has over 20 years experience working in the mental health sector and her academic, practical and lived experience informs her knowledge and skills base in qualitative research. You're very welcome, Helena. That was amazing. And I just put that music on as a bit of a palate cleanser so that we could prepare for my presentation. <laughs> um, so I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we're all meeting and pay my very sincere respects to elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all First Nations people who are joining us today. And I really wanted to acknowledge this, the connection to the spirit of the country and recognise that these places were places of learning and connection for thousands of years. And beneath this building in the concrete, there lies ancient history and wisdom. Thank you for the honour of speaking today. 
and I'm feeling a little nervous because this topic feels like it matters. So I'm going to take a breath and invite you to do the same as we enter this space together. Tonight, I'm going to be talking to you about our darkest places, our experiences of crisis, and also the sacredness of meeting people at that edge. As someone with my own lived experience of crisis and accessing crisis crisis services, um, this experience is familiar, and maybe I'll share a little of my own experience. We'll see how we get along together. For now, I'm going to take you by the hand and share with you the stories that people have shared with me, their stories of crisis and of accessing crisis care. And this presentation represents their voices and their stories. Crisis affects us individually, but it also affects us as a society. And crisis services are themselves in crisis. We've had increasing mental health presentations to ED and the um, overcrowding, the long wait times and the inadequate treatment has gained media attention. We've also seen increases to Lifeline and calls um, to Lifeline have increased by 20% since 2019 and increasingly police and emergency services are being called to respond and between 20 and 50% of all mental health presentations are people arrive by police. So there's calls for system overhaul. There's calls for solutions. There's calls for solutions to the um, increasing mental health presentations to ED to free up the ED for people with physical health crises. There's calls for alternatives for people who are in emotional distress. And there's also cries to reduce our high rates of suicide. Now, people who know me can attest that I'm really impatient. (laughs) I hate waiting for elevators and two minutes on a microwave takes forever. And I also really love solutions. So I set out to look at um, alternatives for mental health crisis, alternatives to ED. I also was part of a wonderful project that looked at peer workers in emergency departments. But something kept niggling at me. We haven't actually asked people what that experience of crisis is like, what it feels like, and what people need when they access crisis services. And if we're going to have targeted policy that meets the needs of people, then we really have to know what that crisis experience is like, how it's lived and how it's experienced. And services, sadly, have a track record of making assumptions about people's experiences of emotional and mental distress and also making presumptions about what we need. So instead, I set out to slow down and to listen and to deeply listen to people. I spoke to 31 people and here's their stories. I do feel desperate and and really need help. This is life and death. You're very alone. Your heart pounds. Your head pounds. You feel scared. You feel sad. You feel real sad. You feel destitute. People talked about their desperation and the seriousness they felt about their situation when they reached out for help. And for people who did reach out for help um, to services, they reached out because they were trying to save their own life at that point. 
Crisis involved experiences of overwhelm and powerlessness, uncomfortable bodily sensations, spiritual and existential questioning, a loss of connection to self and identity, distressing thoughts and disorientation. And for each person, their crisis experience has reached a threshold where living with the emotional pain felt unbearable and almost impossible, reflected in feelings of fear, self-loathing and shame. Suicide was a way of escaping the unbearable pain that life embodied. The emotional pain and level of distress were often unspeakable. Crisis is something that is lived, not talked about. And yet we expect people to articulate, get chatty and reach out to services. People described the need to express their distress in a manner so that others could hear them and so that they could make visible what was happening inside. On reflection and given time, people used vivid emotional words and rich metaphors to describe their experience of crisis. They described the horror, the intolerability of being in your skin, the dread, the hollowness, a sensation of being on fire. At, at the time, though, when people were accessing services, they shook, they cried, they self-injured, and they used whatever words that they could manage, as one person described. And I said... And I said to the triage nurse, I said, look, I'm not physically unwell, but I'm mentally in a really big pile of pelican poo and I don't know what to do. How do we respond to people at their darkest times and in their deepest despair? And he said that I was a waste of his bed space and he wished he had a heart attack patient instead because then he'd know what to do. He just... He did not know what to do. Crisis responses in ED were experienced as dismissive, delegitimising and dehumanising. Generally, there was a perception that ED staff didn't know what to do and ED, EDs were seen as serving a really good function if you're unconscious, if you're bleeding, if you've got a broken bone sticking out, if you've got a diagnosable disorder, they know exactly what to do. They're not set up for people in emotional pain. And um, people describe feeling like an imposition, feeling unworthy and being left alone. They describe staff not talking to them, not asking them why they wanted to kill themselves. Instead, they came in, took their blood pressure and waited for the medication to take effect. People also talked about the difficulty in accessing care. They talked about having to, to prove that they were suicidal, and they talked about being turned away. At best, ED was described as a Band-Aid response. It was temporary where people were held for a short period of time and sent home. And staff were seen as being simply too busy to care. Many people arrived at the ED involuntarily, and experience with police was variable, to being handcuffed and treated like a criminal to being treated with kindness. Sadly, people didn't always have high expectations of police, but they did have high expectations of ambulance services. And when ambulance services did not treat them with kindness, this left a jarring impression. Phone lines were often seen as robotic, 
and offered standardised tick box responses. But there were also examples of people really listening and acknowledging their distress, validating their emotional pain. There were also examples of individual staff at ED who responded with humanity, like this response. So the num herself walked out of the ED and the first thing she goes, your dog's beautiful. Gave her a pat and says, look, come in. I've checked your dog. You're fine. Tell the security guard that, if, that it's an assistance dog and that you just don't have your papers on you. I'll deal with the rest. So I went into the emergency department with my dog. Instead of just saying no or we can't help you or the rules are the rules, she built that rapport with me. Hey, look, she's beautiful. And my dog was the only thing I was living for at that moment and that you've just reassured me that it's worth living for. That rapport was really powerful. Um, the power of crisis alternatives as well. That really held a place of emotional holding, gave time, really listened and were there with somebody at that edge, offering embodied practices and ways to release big emotions. So regardless of whether the crisis response was within an ED, on a crisis phone line or a crisis alternative, it was the quality of the connection that really made the difference and the ability to provide validation and a place of emotional safety. Both negative and positive experiences of crisis care had lasting impacts on sense of self, safety and future help seeking. People talked about being too frightened to ask for help again, being alone in their experience and losing faith in others to care. For many people entering ED, the experience of being involuntarily forced into hospital and the experience of restraint left a long-lasting negative effect. Okay, so a little about me. The world is your oyster at 15. At 15, you're not meant to die. I wrote this after my first suicide attempt, and it was the first of many. I entered into a cycle of trying to get help and trying to be heard, and was in this, in this loop of trying to access care. And what I found from our, all of our collective experience is that it's hard to get help when you're in crisis. And when you're in crisis, it shouldn't be that hard. It should be the simplest and easiest to get help. And today we um, have mental health services that report to, to work from a, a recovery-oriented perspective, trauma-informed perspective, a person-centred perspective. And yet, at that very point when people are in crisis, at that very spot, the response is more of a roadside, patch you up and off you go style. Crisis represents spaces of threshold. They are liminal, ambiguous and uncertain. However, crisis is also a time and place of possibility. And people talked about crisis being disruptive enough to make them stop and reassess their values. They talked about crisis being a transcendent experience in their lives. And the process resulted in emotional healing, a radical shift in values and a profound pursuit for meaning. 
Yet crisis theories are built on this idea of homeostasis, that we exist generally in a state of... or crisis exists in a state of imbalance, and the goal is to just return to that homeostasis. But for the people that I talked to, going back to where they were or staying the same was neither desired nor possible. And crisis theory is rarely applied in psychiatry and it does have its limitations, but one thing it does have as a strength is that it really values the impact of social adversity. Yet it still maintains an individual focus and we need to shift to a more systemic approach to avert the growing medicalisation of crisis. Our experiences of crisis were not based on pathology. They were based on our human experience of living with trauma, marginalisation, extreme stress and oppression. They are based on our experience of grief, of loneliness, of existential crisis as we confront our inner turmoil and scramble to make sense of our lives and our place in the world in the face of abuse, betrayal, loss of identity, loss of faith, loss of career. Through crisis we can grow. We don't have to simply maintain equilibrium. How services respond can facilitate growth and they can provide an opportunity for people to explore the subje- their subjective experience in the, in the context of their lives. Or services can shoehorn people into diagnostic labels, rob them of their own meaning-making and individualise their distress. In psychology, we talk about post-traumatic growth that springs from adversity. For the people that I spoke to, they talked about being proud and strong in the face of adversity. As one person said, I still have stigma attached to it. I'm still embarrassed that it's part of my psyche, that it's still part of me, but I'm proud. I'm proud of the fact that it can dance in front of me and stick its tongue out and clap its hands, but I don't let it take over. They also talked about the passion to change a system that responded to them in a way that hurt. They hold deep wisdom and an embodied wisdom about what helps and hinders when we're in crisis. So we might understand our experience of crisis as trauma, the stuff that makes living hard, being homeless, being unemployed, experiences of grief. We might describe it as mental illness. Ultimately, crisis was perceived as part of our human experience, often understandable within the context of our lives, but hidden, fought with feelings of shame and fear. And we have a system of social rules about how and where we can speak about our experiences of crisis and extreme emotions. You know, we shouldn't talk about it at work. At work, minimising our distress is applauded, and there's an unspoken rule To be human is to pretend we are fine. There is a mismatch with what we want to say and what we feel permission to say. We live in a world where cognition is celebrated and campaigns are urging people to speak up and talk about their distress. And there's an expectation to express our crisis with words. Yet we're also celebrated for our silence and our stoicism. And crisis, by its very nature, causes dysregulation to our nervous systems. If trauma and attachment with our early caregivers were also a challenge, this too compounds our ability to use our voice. Crisis is a human experience. It is a house that we enter that is familiar. It has many rooms, but many are dark and hidden. 
shame, embarrassment, secrecy, even the code of acceptable language and the parameters that we can speak about in relation to suicide have infiltrated even our most intimate conversations. Brené Brown says, what separates us as a human species is our need to be seen and heard and loved. Reminds me of Matt. (laughs) And our need to, to see and love others. It is our inherent human need to connect, to know that we're not alone and to know that our experience is not unique and that we are like others. As one person said... And you know what? Every person wants to be heard. Every person wants to be seen, don't they? I mean, that's what it boils down to. Should we do better for people in crisis? Absolutely. My question is, why aren't we? How do we trust ourselves and each other to support people and compassionately hold our distress? How do we create structures of crisis care in our communities, such as the Just Listening community that Matt has so powerfully described that actually works for human beings to be able to reach out and help each other? As one person expressed, we need a sanctuary environment that is safe and free from traumatisation. You can't have a safe or healing service that does harm to people. And again, like you don't have to be radical to think that some of the practices in mental health are harmful. We have to try to do better. And we have to imagine a place where harm doesn't exist. Because if not, then the only thing we can imagine is a health service that is traumatising for people. We cannot keep responding the way we have been. As one person I spoke to wisely said, and if we keep doing the same stuff as we have always been doing, nothing's going to change. We have to be serious about making change, and I have faith that we can do better. That together, we can meet each other in the fields of sorrow and pain and slay the dragons together. It's time for some music. Thank you so much, Elena. It's beautiful. Um, thanks for sharing your experiences and your research. You're listening to Brainwaves on 3CR, and that was Helena Rowenfeld speaking at the 2023 Woodcock Lecture. And next week will be our last of the highlights from the 2023 Woodcock Lecture on Brainwaves. You can find more of our shows at brainwaves.org.au or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. And if you found anything in today's shop setting, please call 1300 111 to speak to someone at the Wellways Helpline. Now stay safe and don't forget to tune in next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.